Welcome to another special edition of the Jayhawker podcast. We are joined, very fortunate to be joined by a legend in the game of basketball, one of the all-time great guys from the coaching world, the broadcasting world, gotten to know him a lot over the last five years. Wayne Simeon and I are very pleased to welcome the legendary Bill Raftery. Well, it's uh, thanks for the plaudits and stretching the truth a little bit. But uh, it's great to be between two great Jayhawks. Wow. Well, one. And <laughs> one. <laughs> one in the Raptors, one not. But, you know, as we go through your career, Bill, I mean, from the coaching days, but, but I think most people nowadays know you for your signature phrases and, and, and the, the way you call a game is the way that Wayne and I love it because you're just natural. Well, I'm very lucky, obviously. You know, uh, when the Big East was formed years ago, uh, Dave Gavitt was the commissioner, and he watched our team play, and he said, you know, I've watched your team. I think you should try television. So it was a nice, easy slide for me, uh, <laughs> career, career-wide. Thank you, Wayne. He's a little slow on the uptake here. Uh, but th- that's really how it started. The Big East and ESPN started at the same time. Yeah, you were right at the beginning of where yeah. college basketball just came to the forefront from Dick Vitale to yourself to everybody that promoted it to right. what it is today. You know, you know, interestingly enough, to, uh, I was in the Big East the first two years, and that's when Ewing and Mullen and Pickney and those guys came mm-hmm. in. But uh, – uh, Chet Simmons uh, was the uh, president of ESPN, and he and Scotty Connell were sitting in the fall of 81 saying, we would love to have a college coach that we know will never make the NCAA tournament be in the studio at the end of the year. And that's how I got involved. <laughs> in 19, Actually, in 1979, for two years, I did the NCAA production thing uh, to start the year, and I sort of liked it. Yeah. And uh, the league was burgeoning. We, you know, Seton Hall was a place that wasn't going to change for a few years, as it did for PJ. You know, he struggled when he first came in. They hadn't caught up with the philosophy, the finances, and uh, invested in the program. So, uh, very fortunate, really, to you know sit down and watch game, watch kids play, uh, and going around watching all these great coaches. I realized, you know, I wasn't that good. You know, you watch some of these practices, and they're so buttoned down and detail-oriented that uh, it's a pleasure. And then in terms of what I say, it's part of growing up, stuff that you may have said growing up that your buddy said that uh, became part of your personality. Well, I love that you're talking about the origins of the Big East because college basketball, as we know it today, people see Big Monday, they see uh, college game day, Multiple networks carry college basketball, but what you're referring to, and is actually one of my favorite ESPN 30 for 30 specials, is on the origins of the Big East with John Thompson, Louis Carnesecca, a young Jim Beheim. That was really the catalyst to college basketball being on the main national stage. What was it like being a part of that? And did you think that it was going to become what it is now today? Uh, you know, you're right, though. It was a first-name league. It was Chris, right? It was Patrick, that kind of. It was Eddie, uh, Walter, and Burry, and the coaches were the same. You know, it was Louie, John, Jimmy. Calhoun messed that up because there were two Jimmys then, you know, Beheim and Calhoun. Uh, but uh, no, I didn't know where it was going. But Dave Gavitt did, and and the reason he knew, I had asked him years before. When did you start figuring out? Like, I'd love to form this league. 
And he used to play, not necessarily Kansas, but teams of your stature. And they would bring Louisville into Providence and Carolina and teams like that. And he would compete on a regular basis, not necessarily winning all the games, but a fair amount, because he made the final four in 72 with his team, with Barnes and DiGregorio. But he knew there were good teams that he played on a regular basis, St. John's and Georgetown. And, you know, it was a fight. Syracuse was a fight. But he knew there wasn't the marketing behind it. There was no sort of push to brag about uh, what you had here. So, uh, you know, his imagination, his creativity is how that whole deal started. And obviously it did take off. And, and uh, you know, those, those early years, you know, Pearl, for example, uh, uh, Pearl Washington, and just guys that were just phenomenal, Richard Hamilton. And you, you go on and on with the great talent. You know, a lot of people don't know, you're very giving with your time. This past year you came back. Coaches versus cancer, I think, is a thing that's right, very near right. and dear to your heart. And, and Coach Raftery came back and was the MC of an event that Bill and all of our players were at. And, and some of my most enjoyable time with you, you're, you're overly friendly to nobodies like me coming to the radio guys, and we always have good talks. But that night we went out for drinks after the event, and some of the best stories. I mean, your your ability to fit in anywhere. We, you and I were just talking about how Bill Self's a chameleon fits in everywhere. Right. You're a lot like him. Well, you know, when Bill asks you, you must go, or he won't speak to you anymore. Is that what he says? Obviously. It's a threat. Uh, but, you know, an Irishman at an establishment is usually pretty relaxed. You know? <laughs> yeah, pretty it's comfortable territory yeah, for you. It's sort of uh, something you've accust been accustomed to most of your life. But... Uh, these coaches do so much, not only for their own university, but as you mentioned, the coaches versus cancer and their involvement. Of course, you mentioned Dick Vitale before and Jimmy Valvano, uh, what they've been able to do to enhance lives and, yeah. uh, you know, just get do, do so much in the foundation and the research end of things that it's going to prolong a lot more lives. How about, you know, you were a coach for a long time, then got into broadcasting. How different is being a head basketball coach in a Power Five conference than when you were coaching back in the day? I, I think it's a monster now. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, take your league here. I don't think I've ever seen a league as competitive. We talked about the Big East in those days. It was competitive. But this one, I mean, virtually everybody in the league has the potential of getting into the tournament. Right. Uh, they could get in the, you know, the end of the season tournament and win the Big 12 championship. Anybody, anybody. I think. Uh, but it, it's just grown. I think TV's helped it. Uh, I, I think the formative uh, teaching, the players have gotten better. Uh, years ago, you would say, oh, the kid's really athletic. But that now it's, it's like they're athletic and they know the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, their skill level has really improved. And the instruction's gotten so much better. And, and, and the demands are such that if you can't play the last two minutes of games and you're not all buttoned down, uh, you're going to get a lot of losses. And, and I think that's why KU has done so well for so long because, you know, Bill's extraordinary in just going over things specifically that must be done in terms of winning a game. And, of course, the, the caliber of player they get here, you know, you can convey that to them and they got the abilities to come through. I got, I got a question. Uh, it's, it's such a treat just to sit next to you and hear you because for so long your voice and others have been like the soundtrack for my life. You know, right. guys like Clark Kellogg and Lynn Elmore, of course, of course, sure. Dickie V. I got a question about signature sayings because <laughs> there are moments I've been in my driveway as a kid and anytime the shot hits the backboard, of course, what am I going to say? 
with, with the, the kids. kids. <laughs> and if it's a real with good one, with the sweet kids. <laughs> so I have a, a question. Smooch. I got a question about that. Are signature sayings something that are premeditated, or do they happen in the moment and they stick? You know, I get tired of saying them, to be honest with you, after a while. But people expect uh, you to say them now, yeah, right? So I you expect feel, you to say them. You feel part of it. For example, when I, st- I used to say man-to-man at the beginning of a game, and, but I would say it quickly and succinctly to let the play-by-play guy, man-to-man. And I had no idea that I was putting them together. They were connected. And I'd be in the airport, and some guy would say, wait a minute. I'm going, what the hell's wrong with that? That's weird. That there's something wrong with that guy. And, and, you know, with the kiss was just like, instead of a bank shot, it just came out. You know, I didn't write anything down. Or uh, Ian Eagle, who's here doing the game this week, uh, we did the Nets games for eight, year, eight years. excuse me. And uh, Kevin Edwards played at the Paul, and I would say maybe a 10-year run in the NBA. But I had never said onions before in my whole life. <laughs> and the Nets were in the throes of one of those really bad, long NBA seasons, maybe 15 wins, 15 and 54 kind of a deal. And we played in Orlando, or they did, and Kevin hit a buzzer three to win. And it was like, we're so unaccustomed to winning, I just hollered, onions! <laughs> like, never said it before. So... I, again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, a lot of it is how you hang, who you hang with, the vocabulary you guys use with one another, and I guess it becomes somewhat of a shtick, but hopefully it's uh, natural. And, and again, it, it's a quick way of getting in and out for the play-by-play guy. And for us old-timers somewhat, the Jerome Lane was yeah. the most iconic one. Yeah, Pittsburgh, He's, Sean Miller to... Sean Miller, Sean claims he made me famous because <laughs> he made the pass to Jerome. Interestingly enough, uh, this Wednesday, they have a big night in Pittsburgh for Jerome. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to be at uh, we're in Michigan. Excuse me, I got Purdue at Michigan on, on Thursday, so I can't go, but they gotta, they've got the glass. Like they're handing out gla- pieces of glass <laughs> from the back. You know, make believe, obviously. What, was your, what did you say? Uh, about... Sin- what was the call? Oh, send it in. Send, send it, it in. in. Yeah, send it in. Send it home, Jerome. Send it in, big fella. And yeah. uh, that, we had to fill that whole halftime yeah. because they didn't have roll-in baskets then. Yeah. So Don Nelson was then the Golden State Warrior coach, and uh, he was there scouting, and we brought him on for 15 minutes while they cleaned this up. Now, over the years, there must have been 30,000 people at this game and they only sat 5,500 at this gym. But everybody said I was there, Signature and I got a piece moment. of yeah, glass. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, yeah. you all couldn't have been there over the years. But uh, ESPN did a deal once I was down in Charlotte. And just like this, we had a little deal, and all of a sudden they came back from commercial, and they've got Jerome Lane on from Akron as, on a two-way. And uh, – he was really cute. And he said, uh, Mr. Rav, he said, thanks for making me famous. famous. And I said, Jerome, thank you for making me famous. <laughs> but he was quite a kid. And in those days, you know, you know how the kids are built like you are? You know, this current kids are into the weights. He had a natural kind of a body when weights weren't, you oh, know, God. Which yeah. is probably Accentuated. why he broke backboard. Yeah. 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 He was a big – I think the only guy that ever did it before that was Daryl Dawkins. Yeah. Double D. Yeah, in high school. Like he, yeah. He did one in Kansas City Kings game. I was there. 
Is that right? Exactly. Well, I remember the year about a young kid. You got a piece right. of the glass. Like I didn't, yeah, 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 I guess I got glass, a bunch yeah. of the glass. Well, he, a, a quickie on Daryl. He, he was a center for the Nets after the Sixers. And he used to be great with our kids. And, and he'd say, what's your name? And my son, Billy, would say, Billy Rafter. He said, your father's ugly. He's an <laughs> ugly man. Right? And then one night, he, uh, I went into the locker room. And I think we were going with the team after the game, one of those deals. So I'm just hanging around. And he came out after a shower, and he's tallying himself. And he said, hey, you've been killing me about my shooting. And he said, and my girlfriend and I have a gun. And if you keep killing me or, you know, mocking or whatever, uh, I'm going to shoot you. And I said, uh, you know, Daryl, if you shoot that gun the way you've been shooting the basketball, <laughs> I got no problem. And I, I took off him with the towel after me. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, as you call games and you're around great coaches, great venues, talk about Allen Fieldhouse and Bill Self. Ooh. As you go around the country and call it everywhere, whether it be Michigan, Cameron, whatever, right. what makes this place special and what makes Bill Self special? Uh, Mike Steele was here last week. Joe Dooley's buddy, the coach that he's he was played at Purdue. He came here for the first time. And the same reaction he had, he said, it's just it's incredible. It's different. It, it's a museum. I always say it's a museum. Uh, it, it's something that you can't ruin this place. I mean, it's just uh, the student body, obviously, the fan response, the talent level, the success. You know, it's all building up. Uh, with great coaches over the years and obviously phenomenal players, including you two. And, and Bill himself, uh, he's such an easy sell. I mean, he's a legitimate guy, regular, matter-of-fact, blunt with the players, and yet, you know, friendly. I mean, he's got yeah. a nice arm around you without, you know, he, he can get you to be better, get you to work harder, uh, but he's also there to you know, provide a little bit of a lift emotionally, so... Guys in the profession, uh, utmost respect for him as a coach and, and as a gentleman. I mean, he's, you know, fun to be around, uh, very informative, makes our job a lot easier. Obviously, in your, your long career as a coach and a broadcaster, you've been around a, a wealth of great players. Uh, we're just coming off last weekend, our, our 125th reunion to Kansas basketball. Many of those great players coming back. Who are some signature Jayhawk players oh boy. Uh, that maybe you got a chance to call some games or uh, maybe that you just respected from, from a distance? Who, who are some guys uh, that played on, on that court well, that come to mind? You, Greg. Hell, you don't uh, have Frank to say Mason. that. Like, you're, you're here uh, already, so we got you, you know, here. I hate but, to yeah. tell you, I remember Wilt. Yeah. I mean, Wilt was here. You know, I, I went to school in Philly and you know, Wayne Hightower. So I'm going way back, you know, just, well, you know, you, you go down the chrono, the number of them. It's just unfair to. How did you back then being where you were on the East Coast, how, what was it like to hear about guys at Kansas? I mean, there was no ESPN. There was no, you were just reading the papers. Or you just well, the papers, uh, sporting magazines during yeah. the, you know, preseason. Uh, there was only one game a week generally, and I think there was a big eight game of the week yeah. in those days, if I remember. So we didn't really see too much about it. But, but just hearsay and then the tournament. Right. Uh, Kansas was always in the tournament. So you sort of knew the kids and, uh, you know, got, got to know the talent level, basically. How big of a thrill is it for you, Final Four now, you're, you're a fixture, and, you know, with Grand Hill and, and, and your group to be able to call a Final Four. And then last year, 
Was that one of the craziest games you've ever seen with the comeback? Oh, the the halftime, we're going, boy. Well, well, yeah, what, what was your thought process at well, halftime? You know, now with the three-point shot, it wasn't that this is over. Yeah. But it was like, boy, they're in trouble. I mean, basically, you know, if, if they, you know, Carolina keeps doing this yeah. and Kansas is not doing that. Uh, but the comeback and, uh, you know, kids stepping up and making plays coming down the stretch, uh, you know, th- that's what makes it extraordinary, obviously. And, you know, getting into uh, the Final Four, I did the uh, finals for radio for maybe 10 years. So the, the jump to TV was, you know, obviously exciting. But there wasn't the, you know, you're going into town the first time and all the ballyhoo and all the meetings and all that. So that was eliminated. And it was just, you know, coordinate with your two partners. And, you know, as you know, Grant's just a special human being that yeah. happened to be a great basketball player. You know, Jim's Jim. I mean, he's an icon and yeah. so well-respected and deservedly so. How about your, uh, I don't know, it'll be an iconic call for Kansas fans, but your Remy Martin line oh. was fantastic. Because <laughs> if you think about the Final Four, you did both yeah. games, obviously. Remy wasn't very good against Villanova. No, he was and hurting in the first, too, right? And in the first yeah. half. Against, Did he have a bad knee? Mm, yeah. yeah. And in the first half against North Carolina, he was one of five. He was and the strong. one he made, he banked in. Right. So for Bill to have the, the uh, courage or confidence. the confidence yeah. to put him in yeah. at about the 11-minute mark after we stormed all the way back was amazing. He made three threes and had a big-time layup in right. those final 10 minutes. It's the first Remy Kansas fans have had without a hangover, yeah. right, so to speak. Uh, that just blurted out, too. You See, know, it's just sort of fit. It's organic. It's yeah. natural. I had this patient. His cancer treatment had him in the hospital for a while. One day, he was telling me about his grandson and how a big night was coming up for him. So we arranged to make it a big night for my patient, too. I sometimes wonder if I'm doing all I can. Then I help make a moment like this possible, and I know I am. You're kind of breaking in a new broadcaster. Jay Wright, oh, the yeah. iconic Jay Wright, is your broadcast partner tomorrow along with Ian Eagle. Yeah. And uh, talk about uh, Jay, what he brings to the table, and how, how uh, he's adapted to the world of broadcasting. The best thing about Jay being on this team is he has to wear a CBS blazer so we don't look like paupers <laughs> on the air. We could never no keep, up, keep with up with his lifestyle. With you know? game. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, he, as you know, he knows basketball and yeah. always has a great way about him. His personality is such that it blends right in. He's a team player, and he likes it. I mean, he really has enjoyed it. And I guess he had enough. I mean, you, you'll have him on. And, you know, he just decided it was time. I mean, uh, enjoy life a little bit and hit the beach here and there. And when you think of it, I think he did almost seven straight years with the Olympic team and college. So there was no time whatsoever with his family. So I think that lent into it. And a lot of these changes too are difficult for coaches. Yeah, and, and I think when you and you know when you got out of coaching you still you missed it probably and you want to be involved still right. as broadcasters, you're able to go to the practices and be around the guys without all the pressure. Right. Well, I think it keeps you young, to be honest yeah. with you. And, and I think I'm saying he'll be like me in this sense. When the game is over, I always feel badly for the losing guy and team. 
it's just sort of, because I was usually that guy, I guess. But, <laughs> uh, you know, in the old days, if we had time, I'd always go to the locker room and try and say hello. But now you're running to get to an airport or whatever. Uh, but I always tell people uh, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into losing a game close. Like, you put everything into it that the winning coach does, and you come up or you come up with a big play, big stop, uh, that just changes the whole uh, outcome of the game. And it's, it's, and fans don't understand that. They, they expect to win, want to win, and, uh, and yet the opponent's got a lot to say with it, too. Great. Well, Coach, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate your time. No problem. Drinks on me tonight. Oh, you got it. I'd like the, to hear that. At the, at at the wine you, dive is your, your talent fee for this. Uh, <laughs> That's idea. We'll, we'll head back there. One of the all-time great guys in our business and the coaching profession all over, Bill Raftery, the legendary Bill Raftery, joining us here on the Jayhawker Podcast, brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. <laughs>